Amen. Please stand with me uh, as we continue in the Gospel of John. John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. You could read silently as I read words on the screen, or if you have your physical copy or your digital copy, please follow along with me. John 4, starting at verse 43. After, two, after, the two days were, uh, after the two days he departed for Galilee, excuse me, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering so he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is God's word. You may be seated. It was the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, and the race was the 4 by 400 relay. Derek Redman was one of the stars, and he was running the first leg for the British team. He has the baton. All of the men are lined up in their lanes. The gun goes off. They take off. And as, <coughs> excuse me. The commentators are seeing this, noticing Derek. They comment on his pace because he is expected to come out on top and help his team win. But in the first quarter of this race, he pulls up, tells something's wrong. He's hurt. He grabs the back of his leg and he completely stops. The pain so excruciating, he falls to the ground. Derek is on the track crying, and now the whole world is watching this. They are watching this. But then he tries to get back up, crying because of the pain that he's feeling, but he's also crying because now his team has no chance of winning this race. This has me thinking. Friends, I want to ask you, do you ever feel like Derek Redman? That you were running this race of life well. That you got out the blocks well. That you make it your business to spend time with the Lord. You, 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 you spend time with him in prayer and in his word. You, 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 you love him as he says in his word. And you love your neighbor 
as yourself. It doesn't mean that life is perfect, but you feel that you're in a good rhythm when it comes to life. Then all of a sudden, something in your life pops, and there's pain. Where did this come from? Why are we experiencing, why am I experiencing all that I am experiencing? And this pain seems to greatly limit my ability to live. Have you ever been there? Or are you there? In our text today, we're going to see a man, an official, a royal official, who experienced pain like no other. His son was at the doorstep of death. He was watching his son die. And as he was trying to figure out what to do, the text says, that Jesus had made his way to Galilee, which is in the area where this royal official was. <laughs> the beauty of the text, the beauty for us as we are reading this, we are peering into this, as we can see that God is setting up a divine intersection, a divine collision, man with a need. A great need and Jesus entering the same space that he's in. Him not knowing the outcome that Jesus has an appointment with his son from a distance, but everything is going to be okay. But before he understands any of that, he is just hurting because his son is sick. He was desperate. He had nowhere else to turn, but I started thinking as I was studying this, he was in Galilee, and we're going to see in the text that many Galileans had gone to the feast, John chapter 2, where Jesus turned water to wine. And so I just wanted to question, ask this question, was, was this royal official in Jerusalem during the Passover? Did he witness some of the signs that Jesus was doing? Did he see Jesus turn water to wine? Was that enough for him to, when he heard Jesus was in Cana, for him to go and ask Jesus to heal his son? We, we are not told any of that. But what we do know is that because his son was sick with a fever, ill, at the brink of death, it was enough to make him make that day's journey, leaving where he was, I'm at my wit's end. I'm going to Jesus. Let me say this. And I'm speaking out of my own, the depth of my own soul. I think it's a good place to be when you ain't got nowhere else to turn except to Jesus. I think the Lord allows these things in our lives because we trust too much in other things. Russell trusts too much in tertiary things, things that can't even fix nothing. And he allows all of that to go by the wayside. That they ain't going to help you. Uh, you read in scripture, God says, don't trust in those horses. They're not going to do you any good. You got a 30,000 in your army, we're going to get that down to 300. You are not going to be able to trust in what you think you can trust in. All you got is me. And now that I think about it, that's what I want. What about you? Are you willing to bear under the pain as long as you know that Jesus is with you in the pain? 
This brings me to my main point. So this man needed a miracle. He needed a miracle, so he goes to Jesus. But here is what I want each of us to know this morning. Miracles cannot compel genuine faith. Miracles cannot compel genuine faith. Now, I am about to do something or say something right now, and I hope no one gets upset with me. I get tired of these infomercials, Peter Popoff, that he's selling miracle spring water. Bro, you went in the back of your backyard and bottled up some water, and you're going to sell it, right? And now you got all these people on there talking about they, re- they got a miracle by this water. But what I'm, 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 the reason I'm getting at that is because it seems like in our culture we are chasing miracles. And I need this to happen before I believe. I need, give me that. Show me, God, that you are who you are. Then I will believe. See, needing a miracle is, first, is a distortion of faith. Somebody said, I heard this yesterday, seeing is believing. No. Believing gives you spiritual sight. Believing in Jesus, then you're able to see. The story is told of this fisherman who, he hadn't been in fellowship, he's a Christian, but he hadn't been in fellowship with the Lord for years. And he went fishing with some godless dudes, right? You can picture the scene, fishing, I mean, all kind of words coming out their mouth. They just saying whatever. But then the storm happened and it, the little boat they were on, they thought that they were going to sink. So they go to the Christian and they say, pray for us. By the way, do you ever find yourself in a situation where you're the only Christian and then they want to pray and they turn to you? You at somebody else's house, but they turn to you. I don't know. I get that all the time. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm at your house. You know what I mean? Like, why, why I got to pray? But they turn to you. So they turn to this man. And they say, pray for us that we don't sing. This is what the man said. Lord, I know I've been out of fellowship with you. I I know it's been so long since we have had a conversation with one another. I hadn't talked to you in 15 years, but Lord, if you will allow us to make it to land safely, I promise I will not bother you for the next 15 years. This man just wanted something from God. But aren't we a lot like that? We get in trouble. I I need you to show up. Give me this, Lord. And again, I I don't look down on this, but many of us have have been longing so much for so many things. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's promotion on a job. You've prayed for it, but you don't get it, and you just stopped. Seeking the Lord, asking him, to show up in your life. But you say, Lord, I'll trust you. I will will spend time with you if you do this for me. I'm beginning to learn and continuing to learn that, Lord, if you don't show up in my prayer, you're still good. If you don't give me what I ask for, (laughs) you've blessed me beyond measure. And, and, and you're worthy. And I can't turn my back on you because you didn't give me what I'm asking for. God, maybe you, I know you see something that I can't see. 
if you give me that, then it's going to get worse for me. But maybe you're keeping that thing from me to make sure that my soul stays tethered to you and that you would give me what I need. As a matter of fact, I, I do believe this. If we could see what God sees in our lives, we would pray for what he has for us, the way he has it for us. If that's pain, if that's whatever. But if we see that that is what he has for us, and we know what's coming, we would pray the same way. When we would answer the prayer the same way. He has a different perspective. This man that came to Jesus, he, he wanted something from God. He needed him to do something. But the Galileans, as he was a part of, the Galileans, they, they, they would trust and want Jesus, but they wanted him to perform all these signs. And because they wanted this, the text says that, you don't, Jesus, you don't really want me. You just want to see some tricks. But the text already says this in John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. This is what John says. He says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus would not entrust himself to humans because he knew what was in humans. And that's true for you and I. Even though, and I love this, even though Jesus knew what was in humans, he still worked among them. He still went to them. Let's begin by looking more closely at this text. John starts off by writing in verse 43, after the two days he departed for Galilee. Now, this should take you back to the beginning of chapter 4. Jesus had resumed his journey. In verse 3 of chapter 4, the text says he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So he picks back up on this journey. But before arriving in Galilee, we learned the past couple of weeks that he stopped in an area called Samaria. And here in Samaria, he worked among the Samaritans and his work was very fruitful. Many Samaritans came to faith in Jesus and it all started with a woman. Again, I had, didn't say much on this, but I do want to make this point. Uh, fellas, we got to know spiritual gifts and work in spiritual work is just not relegated to males. God uses females as well. Now, there are delineations, there are roles that God assigns. I'm not going to get into that right now, but I do need to say this. A woman's role is just not for kids' ministry. A woman's role ain't just for the kitchen. All right, I'm in trouble. God uses males and females to accomplish his work on earth. We see this with the Samaritan woman. So when the Samaritans believed because of her word, but then the text says that the Samaritans believed, not based on her word, but because of the word of Jesus, they asked Jesus to stay with us. And the text says he stayed with them two days. Then our text tells us after those two days, he departed again for Galilee. 
Now, in verse 44, we are, we, it, the text lets us know that he went to a place where he would not receive honor, for a prophet does not get honor in his own hometown. Jesus went to a place where he knew he would not get any honor, but Jesus didn't choose destinations based on where he would be celebrated, based on where he would be honored. He chose places based on the Father's will. Look with me at what he says in John chapter 8, verse 29. Jesus says, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Obviously, Jesus had an assignment in Galilee. So we are told in verse 45, so when he came to, the, to, to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now, when you see this, the Galileans welcomed him. This is what you need to know. They didn't welcome him as they were accepting him as the Messiah. They welcomed him because they wanted to see more tricks. They wanted to see more signs and wonders. Because they saw what he did at the Passover feast. Now, contrast this. The Samaritans prior to this, they did not need signs before they believed. The Samaritan woman just had Jesus. That's all she had. He hadn't turned no water to wine. As a matter of fact, he's sitting at a well hungry and thirsty. But he penetrated her soul in such a way that he exposed the brokenness in her life that she trusted in him. The result of that was that hundreds upon hundreds, I believe, thousands of Samaritans trusted in the Lord Jesus. Now contrast that with the Jews in this gospel. How often they would not believe how often they rejected the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, they could not progress past fascination. Jesus turning, uh, 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 feeding 5,000 uh, with a fish sandwich meal. Him walking on water. They, they, they could not get beyond the fascination, nor could they get beyond their political aspirations. I'm going to leave that alone, but I think that, that, that'll speak to us here in America. Well, we elevate politics. Let me move. See, these Galileans would only believe if they saw miracles and signs. And faith in Jesus cannot be based on miracles. Because now if you read the text, you know Satan can perform miracles as well. Just read the book of Exodus. To need miracles before trusting Jesus is a lack of of spiritual maturity. See, without the execution of righteousness, the righteousness that has been credited to us, let me say this, friends, you and I do not have inherent righteousness. The righteousness that we have has been given to us. It's the righteousness of another. So without the execution of that righteousness that has been credited to us, the soul starves. The soul starves because it's not receiving the proper nutrition. So many people, in spite of the fact that they go to church weekly, they are religious. Maybe they even serve in a ministry. Many of those people are still starving. They're still starving because they are not hungering and thirsting after the right thing 
that the soul is requiring. See, the Galileans welcomed Jesus because of what they saw him do in Jerusalem. They longed for something, but they were longing for the wrong thing, showing their spiritual immaturity. But as we look at this text and see it transition, we're going to see how this royal official responded to Jesus. The text says in verses 46 and 47, so he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Now, who was this official? We don't have his name. God knows his name. But what we can glean about this man, that he was a royal official under King Herod. Herod was Herod Antipas. Now, Herod was not officially a king, but they considered him a king. What we know about this man, he had a high position. He was a man that had resources readily available. He was one that could probably say something and the earth would move based on the people that were under him. But life had happened to this man. He had a need. His son was at the point of death. So maybe he asked himself, as he's watching his son, probably laying down, sweating profusely, struggling with a fever, laborious breathing, maybe he asks himself, what can I do to help my son? Who, who, who can I call on to, to heal, to take care of? My son, then he heard that Jesus was a day's journey away. He leaves his son. He makes the trek from Capernaum to Cana. When he gets there, he asks Jesus to come down and heal his son. Here is what we need to understand. His speech was addressed to God. Is Jesus God? He was talking to God. His speech was addressed to him. Maybe you have experienced what this father experienced. For those of us who have kids, and you have a child that was gravely ill. My wife and I have a, a, a friend who, and maybe you know the, uh, people like this too, lost a child. Lost a child. And we watched her. We got a chance to, I got a chance to know her. She was in St. Jude. She came to our house. She was on the billboards. I know they just had a St. Jude, the marathon run, and they St. Jude raising all this money, and they do great work. But this little girl died. She died. And the pain that her mom felt in losing her only child. Now, this is not about children, but it's any loved one that you have. Just needing someone to step in. What do you do when what you prayed for doesn't come to pass? Even as you pray for the, 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 the health of a loved one. What, what do you do? Here is what we must understand in the midst of all of this. And that is simply the sovereignty of God. What is the sovereignty of God? It means this. Everything in life is either caused by God, allowed by God, but it is never missed by God. Let me say that again. Everything in life, everything, is it, 
is, does it mean that something's missing? Everything in life is either caused by God, allowed by God, but never missed by God. And I'm going to add one more thing. If it's happening in your life and you're in Christ, God is using it. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you believe this? So if you got a, uh, and, and I, we have it in our family, we got sick parents, God is sovereign. Maybe it's a child. Maybe you're longing for a child. Maybe you're longing for a spouse. Whatever it is, God is in control. He is sovereign over it. Even the worst things that have happened to you. This royal official, he will come to understand that God was in control over the, the situations in his life. Look at how Joseph understood the pain that he went through. Now, if anybody went through some pain, number one is the Lord Jesus. But if we look at the life of Joseph, just, I mean, I know we watched the Prince of Egypt and all that stuff. Maybe we watched the cartoon and, and saw it, and maybe that's one of our favorite movies. I, I, yeah, I watched it. I'm, I'm confessing. I watched it years ago. But if we know the biblical story of Joseph, his brothers lied on him. They sold him. He went to Egypt in Potiphar's house. He's serving there for some years, and his Potiphar's wife lies on him, saying that he tried to violate me. That led to Joseph getting thrown into prison. So you go from your servant in an Egyptian's home, now you in jail. You in jail, but God keeps blessing you even where you are, but you're still in jail. He's in jail, and he's there for a couple of years. And then finally, Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph interprets dreams. The man that was supposed to help Joseph finally remembered, oh, I done messed up. There is a guy. Then finally, they go get Joseph. Joseph ultimately was elevated. Now, all of this was almost, I think it's around 17 years from the time he was sold to the time Pharaoh called him up. What do you do when all, all you're experiencing is pain for year after year after year after year? Would you get bitter? But here's what Joseph says in, jo in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. As he's talking to his brothers, he says, as, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring, about, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, Joseph was able to see from God's perspective. And I, this is amazing to me because too often, Russell, I don't see from his perspective. I only see right here. I got tunnel vision. I got tunnel vision. And when I just focus on that, I get overwhelmed. But God, could you open my eyes like you did the servant of Elisha to see that there was an army standing behind this earthly army that, and that your army is greater? Joseph saw from God's perspective. So this official in our text had a sick son. 
he asks Jesus to come to his house to heal his son. Jesus says to him in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So many people came to Jesus to see a miracle. But in the text, Jesus is just not a, uh, addressing this official. He's addressing all of the Galileans because the word here is unless you, the you is plural. Second person plural, unless you all see signs and wonders. So Jesus is addressing them all. But I love, I love, I love what this man ultimately said in verse 49. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. Come down. The urgency. He was not like the other Jews at this point where he needs a sign. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22, where he says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Here it is. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. This man was not about, like, I'm not looking for a sign, Jesus. I need help. Please come down. And see about my son. Jesus says to him in verse 50, go. This is an imperative. This is a command. Go, your son will live. See, it was urgent. He didn't come out of curiosity for a miracle. See, in Jesus, he saw the answer to his son's illness. Even though he probably had access to all types of financial means, he realized that none of that would help his son. His son had a fever. Now, here's another thing. It's just another uh, a moment. I'm just going to dive into a bag just for a moment for us to understand. This fever for them was seen to have a, a, a spiritual root. So many of us have had fevers. Our children have had fevers. But biblically, if someone had a fever, they believed that it was demonic. It was a demonic force that has caused this fever in this particular person. So his son had a spiritual problem. Therefore, this spiritual problem called for a spiritual answer. Friends, we have to stop fighting spiritual battles in the flesh. I'm going to say that again. We must stop fighting spiritual battles in the flesh or by natural means. Behind every spiritual problem, uh, uh, physical problem is a spiritual problem. Behind every physical problem. We are, in it, we, we, we are people that live in an advanced society. Technology and all of this. So we don't typically think that there's a spiritual world that exists out here. But the Bible assumes and shows us that this spiritual, this evil spiritual world is real. That's why Paul was saying in Ephesians 6, we don't fight against flesh and blood. Behind every physical problem is a spiritual problem. And if it's a spiritual problem, it must be dealt with how? Class, you can talk to me. It, it got to be dealt with spiritually. So he was a man that was desperate. He did not hide his problem. He was hurting. Therefore, he took his problems to Jesus. Faith is the voice of the urgent asking from God. Faith is the voice of the urgent asking from God. 
Psalm 4 and 1 says this. The psalmist says, answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. The official's prayer was simple. Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus says, go. And he obeyed, started his journey home. Now, this is what I love about the story. What did he feel when he left? Jesus told me to go. Was there hope? Was there anxiety? Was there worry? Is my son dead? And he had a day for travel. Then the text tells us in verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him. His servants came, left where they were, came out. They didn't come with bad news. They came good news. They had, so many of us, I'm going to just say this, like we, 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 about, we some gossipy people. I'm a, okay, maybe I'm just, I'm just a gossipy. We could be some gossipy people. When we get some good news, we, we publish bad news, but when we get good news, and my wife knows this well about me, like, I got some good news, I, I should be holding it. I'll be blabbing it out. I'll be telling it, right? I'll be, and I shouldn't be, but I'll be telling it. These servants couldn't hold it in. They go and meet the, the, their master with some information. They had good news, and the good news is your son is getting better. The fever is breaking. The royal official says, at what time did it start? They said about the seventh hour, a.k.a. about one o'clock. And the text says that the royal official knew it was at the same time that Jesus says, your son will live. And so John then closes by sharing that this was the second sign that Jesus performed while in Galilee. Again, signs point to something. They point to the fact that what Jesus says is true, and it points to the fact that he is the Messiah. The signs confirm who he is. Again, the purpose statement we can find in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Look at it with me. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his, of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I started this sermon by speaking of Derek Redman, but I didn't finish the story. Derek was hobbling on the track, just trying to get to the next leg so that they could finish the race. As he was laboring to finish the race, there was someone sitting in the stands up high, up high who went down low to the tracks to help. It was Derek Redman's father. Derek Redman's father was sitting up high, looking down low. He saw his son unable to make it, so he left up high and went down low, grabbed his son, and drug him across the finish line. Friends, if you're feeling pain, God knows you may feel that you can't run any further. You're tired. You're weary. You're afflicted. God knows your pain. Because he loves you, he wants to come down from up high. Because he sees you and me down low. And he wants to drag us across the finish line. The beauty of this, friends, he came in Jesus. He came in Jesus. 
And because of his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, I want to say this. You're going to make it. You are going to make it in spite and despite of how you feel. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. I thank you that you, as Paul tells us in in, in Philippians 2, that you left the glories of heaven and came to this low land of sorrow and was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. As we come to this point in our service where we celebrate your death, Jesus, I pray that we would continue in our worship, looking to you and acknowledging you in all things. And I pray, Lord, as I've been mentioning, as we have gathered here, I pray that in what we are doing here right now, as we break our holy huddle, that we would have the the tools and be equipped to go out here and run the play that you have called for us to run. I ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.